0: I found out uh, recently that my wife told me I have a very soothing voice. That's a problem because when I pray at night, she always goes to sleep. So I want to keep. now that I know this, you guys try to stay awake. Focus, focus, focus. Try to stay awake. I know I'm going to, I sound like one of those things that wants to put you to sleep, but don't let me put you to sleep. Pay attention today. Um, We're going to continue in the great escape. Praise the Lord. This has been a tremendous study. This is our 57th message in the great escape. So last week in our message was called a sweet odor unto God. We compared the smoke that came from the altar of incense uh, that was in the tabernacle to our prayers, okay? We saw the comparison. and We contrasted the two, and it was unmistakable to see how the two were related, and there was a similarity. And one thing was God was very specific in the way that the prayers were to be, or that the, the incense were to be burned. They were very specific, and at the same time, how our prayers are to be specific as well as they rise up to God in heaven. This morning... The Lord's turned instructions now to Moses. He's going to be going back to the people, and what he's going to ask him to do, he's actually asking him to number the people. He's going to ask him to do a census of the people, and also he's going to take up an offering, and we're going to look at how this goes in towards the operation of the tabernacle, and our message today is called An Offering Unto God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for today, and God, uh, you know, I've prayed this week, and uh, Lord, struggled at times uh, with this message, Lord, hoping that you would show me exactly what we need to see, and Lord, I know that I'm confident that you've spoken to me, and Lord, I know that... uh, Lord, now that you've spoken to me, i had ask that you'd speak through me. Lord, help me to have the ability to share what it is that you've laid upon my heart, and Lord, at the same time, help those that are hearing, Lord, to have the ability to receive what is it you want for us to have. God, help us to have ears to hear, Lord, that we not just be hearers of the word, but that we might be doers. We might apply what we hear to our lives, that we might be changed. God, thank you for what you have done, and thank you, Lord, for what you will do through the message, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, to give a little bit of review, so last week we talked about the introduction of the incense altar, right? We talked about the, the particulars of it and where it was to be located in the holy place. We also talked about the very specific type of incense that God per, per, um, told them to burn. These were under a recipe that God designed, and it was very important that they follow that design. God does not make provision for any other type of incense. It was specifically for the one that he designed, the one that he gave the recipe for, so there's no provision for that. And what it pictures to us is praying according to God's will. So what happens, he's saying, look, I don't want you coming in your prayers based upon what you want, what your desires are, but try to align your prayers with what it is that I want. We see again and again and again, the Bible talks about praying in my name and praying according to my name, according to my will. So we pray according to God's will, and it's pictured in that incense altar. So this morning, we're going to shift back away from the from the tabernacle. We're going to shift back to the people, okay? So in Exodus 30, verse 11 through 16 Verse, verse 11 says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, he says, look, when you count them, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. They're going to give an offering. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. So the Lord commands a census to be taken of the people, right? They're also not only going to be counting the people, but it's going to be taking a monetary offering at the same time, and there's a purpose to it. So what happens, interestingly, those that are going to be counted are going to be 20 years old and older. That was the, the, the Jewish or the Hebrew age of adulthood. And what was interesting also is the fact that in ancient times when you took these, um, this census, which sometimes it would be called a tax. You'd see it listed as a tax in the Bible. And what it was about was it was about evaluating the kingdom, getting an idea of what was going on, sort of having an idea of numbers, and at the same time receiving offerings at the same time. But most familiarly, you and I will recognize in Luke 2, verses 1 through 5, There's one of these census that takes place in chapters verses 1 through 5. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, right? At this time, the majority of the world, the known world, was ruled by the Roman Empire. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of, the city of, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse, wife, being great with child. So this Roman ruler, what he's doing is he's evaluating the kingdom. He's going to collect this tax, but at the same time to the tribute of as the, as the empire, but he's revealing his dominance, right? It's all a matter of remaining control and showing ownership. That's what these, these census would do. They would de- reveal the ownership over the people. And what's relevant in this one is the fact that God is the one demanding this census to be done. So with God saying, look, these are my people. This census is taken because I'm commanding it and it's to show my ownership of them, right? But there was also a financial component at the same time, right? We look back in that verse two, it says, and they shall give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord when thou numbers them that there be no plague among them. So the word ransom, right? Ransom is a price or something of value for a life, right? If I disappear one day and you guys get a ransom note and it says, hey, we want, it's probably 50 bucks, but whatever, <laughs> we want $50 we're bringing him back. And hopefully you guys will raise 50 bucks and you would come get me, I would hope. <laughs> we'll hopefully never turn, never find that out. But, but the ransom, right, you're gonna exchange the money for my life, right, and then I'm gonna be brought back. So we see here, this is a ransom, it's very specific, right? So it's a matter of expressing this aspect of the, of the, the value here that qualifies, qualifies, God qualifies the purpose here of a financial offering that describes it will protect the people from the plague, right? He says that there be no plague among them or judgment upon the people. Now, if we go back to Exodus 25, we read the very first time that God ever involves the Israelites in offering. This is the very first time he ever asked them to give. Now, back in Exodus 25, what happens is he says, basically, he says, look, you know what? I want you to give towards the operation of the tabernacle to build the tabernacle, but the, of the, if, if you have the right heart, he says, basically, if you choose to, if you want to do it, if you have a willing heart that I want you to contribute, right? So God is trying to involve them in the work. But what we'll find here is it's no longer now something that's whether or not you want to. It's, this, this one's mandatory. He says, look, that you're going to do this. This is going to be a ransom for your souls, right? This individual accountability is what we see here individual accountability to God. And what we'll find out also is it's going to be for every single solitary person. God's going to qualify it. When we relate this to humanity as a whole, we recognize that according to Scripture, every one of us, we all stand accountable to God. We all have an equal accountability because guess what? We all face God's judgment. Whether we believe we will or not, we all will. Revelations 20 verses 12 through 15 says this, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Moses understood his accountability to God. He understood that, and he understood he was supposed to relay this to the people so that they would understand their individual accountability. And what we have to understand is whether or not we want to admit it or not, we all know down deep that we're accountable to God. Whether or not we believe in God or not is irrelevant. It does not change the issue, the fact that that is a truth, right? Some people will try to live their lives as if it's not true. They live their lives as if God doesn't exist. And I don't know if it's to appease their conscience because they have this feeling inside of them or if they're just trying to live in denial. I'm just going to pretend that he doesn't exist. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. And you know what? I'm just going to push it off and push it off and push it off. And many people don't face the reality of the fact that there is a God until they're on their deathbed. And then this harsh realization is like, holy moly, I'm getting ready to step over. Well, Galatians 6, 7 says this, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's like, look, if I'm going to live away from God, I'm going to live like the devil. Guess what? I'm going to have a result. I'm going to be face to face with him one day. If I live for the Lord, if I receive Christ as my Savior, I can have a relationship with Him, an eternal relationship with Him. So this is true for the, for the believer as well as the unbeliever, right? It, it, all of us have accountability to God. Whether or not we want to admit it or not does not change that fact. If you think about this, if a child is raised, now if you guys have ever been in a store where you see the parents bargaining with the children, oh, sweetheart, would you please, okay, I, I, I know, I know you want this, but please, honey, would you be good? Honey, would you please, I know you, that that glass peanut butter that you just smashed on the floor, sweetheart, I know you're, you're not happy, but would you please be good, sweetheart? Would you please be good? Okay, I understand you're ripping up the box of cereals. I know you want some cereals. Cereal. Uh, would you please be good? Would you please? You ever seen this before? Parents bargaining with their children instead of going, hey, what are you doing? Wake up, man. And with my parents, i have been like, oh my God, you would not do that. Trust me. You bust, you bust some peanut butter on the floor, you're going to cleaning up with your tongue, man. <laughs> so... So what we have here is if you have somebody who has that mindset, that growth, right, they grow up in that kind of an environment where, guess what, I make the rules. Well, that person grows up and they go, man, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Good luck with that. (laughs) Good luck with that. And you get there and you go, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. That ain't going to work, man. That ain't going to work. And it's the same thing. When we talk about accountability, guess what? When you stand before God, you may be bold here on earth, but when you stand before God one day, you will not be bold. You will be like, oh, my word. I want you to listen to this. Revelation 6, verse 15 through 17. Says, and the kings of the earth. Now listen to this. This is the mightiest of the world. These are the strongest on the planet. These are the people that have all the wealth, have all the riches, all the looks at how strong they are when they face God. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. We know exactly who that is. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Boy, on earth you may go, hey man, God, whatever, I don't need God. But when you stand before God, it'll be a different story then. We'll no longer be prideful. We will be humbled before Him. No one will escape our accountability to God. Romans 14:11 says this, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, right? So what this ransom's doing is it's picturing our individual accountability to the Lord. Now most offerings were specific to the individual. But what's interesting in this one is this one's exactly the same for everybody. Everybody pays the same, rich or poor, same ransom, same accountability. And, there's, and that's the truth of all of us, man. When it comes to the sins in my life, I'm accountable to God just like you are. Verse 13, And this they shall give, every one that passeth among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras, a geras is just a a unit of measurement, and half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Now what's interesting, we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at this half shekel and kind of deduce to understand a little bit more clearly what it means. But what's interesting to know is also at this time there is no, there are no, there's no coinage, right? Coins don't exist at this point in time. What's happening here is things are always done by weight, right? So this half shekel is a unit of measurement. Now, if we were to convert it to today, it'd be about a one-fifth of an ounce. One fifth of an ounce. So remember, the ransom is something of value in exchange for a life, right? The ransom or the payment of the Israelites will give to the Lord is in an order, and we're gonna find out in verse 15 and 16. You're gonna see it's gonna say, for an atonement for your souls. An atonement for your souls. So first he lets us a ransom for your souls, and then two times he's gonna tell us, it's an atonement for your souls. What we could say was that this ransom will redeem the people to God. It will protect them from judgment, right? That's exactly what's going on here. So we might think, you know, is this, I mean, is God real serious about this thing? I mean, is it that big of a deal, this ransom? Well, in 2 Samuel 24, King David of his own volition decides to do a census. He says, hey, you know what? I want to get the whole place counted, everybody. And Joab is, the captains and stuff, they're like, look, what what are we doing? This isn't." And God doesn't command it to be done. So he says, I just need a count. I don't worry about the ransom, don't worry about getting the money, just count them, that's all I need. And what we find is the fact that God, what this, now there's two things this communicates. First thing it communicates is the fact that David wants to understand, he wants to gain some confidence in the kingdom based upon the numbers, meaning he's no longer trusting in the Lord, he's trusting in the strength of the force of the people, right? That's a problem. Then the second thing it communicates is the fact that it also counts, he's he's saying, you know what? These are my people. David commands that upon his will, what he's saying is there's an ownership here. And God's saying, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, these are my people. These are my people. The results, the results. Now, because he does not receive the offering, confirming God's ownership, this caused the people to fall under God's judgment. And guess what? A plague will then strike on the people. And over 70,000 people are going to die because of David's choice. So without the ransom, guess what? God has to bring Judgment, right? We see that again and again and again. What does this teach us? It says that they can't, there can't be redemption from judgment without a ransom or payment. Jeremiah 31, 11 says this, For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. He redeemed him, ransomed him. So we see that the shekel, right, the shekel is given for the purpose of redeeming the people to God, right? So as we're learning more about this, remember as we studied in our, in our study through the tabernacle, we looked at different metals that were symbolic in Scripture and what they actually meant. We looked at gold. Gold represented deity or righteousness. We looked at bronze, right? Bronze or brass, and that represents judgment. And then there was another one, silver. Does anybody remember what silver was for? Redemption. Redemption. So what we're seeing here is In this phrase, it says a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. He said this is a redemptive payment, a payment to redeem themselves unto God. So would it be safe to say that this is silver, right? Silver. So we think about that. If you had a half a shekel of silver in today's market, just if you're ever curious about this, it would cost, it'd be worth $18.50. Later in Matthew 17, what's interesting is we're going to see this this same tax that's here is going to show up later on at Jesus' time. They're going to be in Capernaum. He and Peter are going to go into Capernaum. And as they walk into the temple, guess what they're going to do? They get confronted because they're supposed to pay the tax. And Jesus is like, I don't have any money. And Peter's like, I don't have any money either. And Jesus says, Well, you know what? Go down to the water, see a Galilee, cast out a line, catch a fish, and when it pull it in, check inside of its mouth. Peter's like, Huh? Oh, okay. So he goes down, he casts a line, he catches a fish, pulls it in, opens its mouth, and there's coins in the fish's mouth. And he takes the coins out and he comes back and he's like, Here you go. The Lord's like, All right, pay the tax. So God provides the tax. Then we see that same tax also when Jesus goes in. He starts flipping over the tables. Guess what those guys are collecting? The same tax, right? So we see that in John 2. So the same tax we see again. So the practical aspect of this tax is the fact that it was for the operation of the tabernacle. It was for the operation of the church. But it also showed and pictures the individual responsibility for our souls. The silver, the shekel, is picturing the redemption of mankind. Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life, a ransom, for many. Not by coincidence. In First Timothy, Paul says this: he "says Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between men, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself, a ransom for all. Right to be testified in due time, a ransom. Now, unlike the Old Testament saints, right? They had to make atonement." for their souls. They had to make atonement for their sins. They would do it through an offering. They would do it through a sacrifice, but they were making an atonement. But unlike them, we don't have to do that. We have an atoning sacrifice that was made by Christ that redeems us to God, pictured through the ransom. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, for as much as you know that you were were not redeemed, listen to this, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. It's not about the offerings. And from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, he says, In the Old Testament, the old days before me, yes, you were redeemed through these things temporarily. But guess what? Not anymore. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we're redeemed through Christ, through his blood. He paid what we could not pay. What's pictured here is through this ransom is that it was an individual responsibility to God for our sins and an understanding our personal responsibility. Well, then it comes down to a couple of choices, right? Shifts into choices. First of all, right, in understanding my responsibility to God, hey, I can receive Christ as my Savior. I can receive the atoning sacrifice of Christ. I can receive the ransom that he paid and have a Savior and have a relationship with God. But at the same time, I can also go the other way. And I can reject the Lord. I can reject the Lord. I can reject his sacrifice. I can say, you know what? I'm doing it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And guess what you will do? You'll face the judgment of God. You're either redeemed from judgment or you face judgment. And it's only in a relationship with God that people do this. Right? If you went to, your, to a brain surgeon, he said, look, you got a tumor. And the way we're going to have to do this, we're going to have to cut you open. We're going to open your skull and we're going to take that tumor out. That's the only solution. You wouldn't go, you know what? Doc, I feel like if I went to the park and I focus on trees and bushes, and I just stare at those trees and bushes every day, I think that'll heal my tumor. The doctor's going to go, I don't think that's going to work, first of all, uh, but if you want to do it that way, then knock yourself out, but you're not going to survive, but when it comes to God, we want to we dictate terms. Well, God, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to go my way, right? You wouldn't go to your doctor, your financial advisor, you wouldn't go to the dentist, and he goes, look, you're too rotten, and then you just come out, and you're like, no, doc, I don't think so. Well, the solution is put uh, gravy on it. Okay, well, good luck with that. It's going to be a lot of pain. We want to dictate terms to God, but we won't do it in the real world to people who we consider to be experts. God is the expert of experts, man. He knows who we are and he understands what we need. Amazing how we did that. That wasn't in my message, but that's just extra bonus. So just like these Israelites, every single solitary person on this earth, guess what? We're going to stand accountable to God. Verse 14 says this, everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. Now, obviously, God already knows how many of them there are, right? He knows the count. God already knows. God doesn't need their money, right? So what's the purpose of this offering? What's the purpose of this counting? Well, remember, these Israelites, right? Let's remember who they are. They're a ragtag group of disorderly misfits. They are not orderly. They don't have any kind of system of organization going on. They are a mess. So counting them does several things. It establishes individual value as each man is numbered. It organizes them and it gives order to the multitude. It also encourages them as they, see, as they see this collective identity. But then as the offering, we think about the offering, what does that do? Well, it will unite the people because they give collectively to the Lord. It will also reveal their individual commitment, each man to God, by them giving their offering. And also, they also show that they are accepting their individual accountability to God. It's got a purpose for them. It's not for God. It's about them understanding themselves and their standing with him. Verse 15 says this, the rich man shall not give more and the poor man shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Verse 16, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And it may be a memorial under the, under the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Right. So the Lord is reiterating this point because it's important. And what you have to understand about scripture is when God repeats things, what he's doing is he's putting an emphasis there. There's not a volume control on your Bible where God can crank it up. He doesn't highlight things or put stars and smiley faces around it. So what he does is he repeats it. And when he's repeating it, he's going, look, I need you to focus. I need you to focus on this point. I'm making it a point, I'm making a point. He's saying, look, this offering is about your souls, right? He said it three times. He said it in these six verses. It's about your souls. It's about your souls. It's about your souls. Pay attention, right? He's pointing that individual responsibility for our sin. But God also makes an important point here that we see as well. In verse 13, it says, the shekel of the sanctuary. says, look, this is to be given for the church. He says, then again, in verse 16, Speaking of the offering, he says, appoint it for the service of the tabernacle. He's saying, so this offering is for the purpose of, the, of the, the, the ministry. It's for the purpose of the work of God. So these funds are to go to the operation of God's house. He tells them, you know, it's not just about the responsibility of the individual who can afford it. But he says, look, it doesn't matter. Rich or poor, everybody is to carry the load, right? It's not about the money. It's about the obedience of giving. Look in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. It says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor, poor widow, and she threw in two mites, right? That's a, just a few pennies. And, caught, and he says, And he called unto his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. He says, look, this one woman by those couple of pennies is actually giving in more than anybody else. How is that possible? Verse 44, for all they did cast in out of their abundance, but she did of her want, did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Giving is a matter of the heart, right? It's not just about obedience. It's about the love behind it. Matthew six twenty-one says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart Be also. If we take your checkbook and we look at where the majority of your money is spent, we can tell where your heart is. There is no doubt about it. It is a clear indication of where we focus our resources. It shows where our heart is. Now, why is giving important? I'm gonna give you a practical example. I thought about one, I was like, how do I make this work, okay? Let's imagine that 10 of us are gonna have pizza, right? We decide we're gonna order pizza and we're gonna have a pizza dinner. And we agree it's gonna cost $50 for dinner. We're all chipping $5 each and we'll buy pizza, and we'll all have a dinner. Well, what happens is, we comes time, and the person shows up, and, and one person you know, uh, writes a check, and the, the guy leaves, and then they look in the bucket, everybody go, hey, buddy, chip in your five bucks, I'm just gonna put a basket here. But there's only $45 at the end. But 10 people ate, right? 10 people ate, but only $45, so somebody didn't pay. But they ate, right? Everybody ate. One person's like, <clears throat> let's slide on out, baby. Right? Back on out of this. And so, what happens in that scenario when we think about that, go, wow, man, how would that make you feel? Well, consider this when people join a church, they commit to tithe, they commit to help the contribution towards the church, right? They come to feed, they come to collect, they come to get, but they don't contribute, right? And we think about that, we go, wow, you know what? How does that fit, right? Now, for some of you guys that may not be familiar with tithing, I like I said, I didn't go to church until I was 34 years old. I'd never heard the word in my life. And when they said tithing, I can't remember what I thought. I thought it was T-I-D, tiding. I thought they were tiding. So I remember in church, I was talking to somebody, and I said, oh, that's like tithing. And the guy's like, what? And I was like, T- uh, tithing? He's like, it's tithing. I'm like, oh, okay, my bad. I never, I never heard the word I know what it was, right? So tithing, right, what is tithing? It's a biblical term. It's a principle. It teaches tithing means a tenth, right? That's what that word translates as. And we show us up. The very first time it shows up in the Bible is in Genesis 14, 20. It says, And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. He took what he was given, and he said, Look, I'm going to give one-tenth to you. Hebrews 7 teaches us about Abraham and also about the priests. Hebrews 7 verse 4 says this, Now consider how great this man was, and how whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Verse 5, And verily they are of the sons of Levi, talking about the priests, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Tithing again and again and again, this concept is taught, giving a tenth, right? So we give God a tenth of what God's given us. And if I give an example, it's kind of like this. If I come to you and I say, look, I got a $10 bill. And I say, hey, if you could give me back, can you got change in ones for a 10 and you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And they go, great, well, here you go. I really just need one back, if that's cool. You can keep the nine. And you go, oh, dude, right on, 19 bucks. But then you go back and you start getting your change and you're like, but you know, I really want 20. I'm just gonna keep it. What's that? stealing, man. All I asked for is $1 back out of the 10. And yet we decide to keep all of it, right? When God provides, guess what? God gives us everything that we have. And God says, look, give me 10% back. And it's for the purpose of the work of the Lord. It's not just to blow away or just to spend or just to save. It's about investing in the things of God, right? So that onset concept, Haggai 2.8 says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, look, it's all mine in the end. I'm just asking you to contribute back. But see, God gives us free will. Just like being accountable for our sins, God gives us free will. So we can be a cheerful giver or we can be a stingy person. We can hold on to that money. We can do whatever we choose. But all of it is our worship. When I open my heart to God and I say, look, you know what? A cheerful giver, somebody goes, you know what? I give because it's for the glory of God. I sing because it's for the glory of God. I pray for the glory of God. I do what I do for God's glory in thanks to God. And so many people, unfortunately, because we're so selfish, we're the person that gets the 10 ones and we decide to keep it all for ourselves. So, When we become a part of the body and take advantage of everything it offers but don't contribute, it's the same as eating the pizza but not contributing, right? Coming to get but not to give. Now, on the other side of that, there was out of that group, somebody paid double, right? Somebody who didn't pay, well, guess what? Someone else has to carry the load. And what happens, this church is full of a lot of, we have a lot of faithful givers, praise the Lord. And I mean, I'm thankful, 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 thankful for how God's used us in a tremendous way. But what happens is, it's not about whether or not it meet the need or whatever. It's about individual accountability and responsibility, right? Our job is to give what God commands us to give. So we have that aspect. If we go to the pizza party and we don't eat, someone else is paying double, right? What the Lord's trying to teach us here is everyone is supposed to carry the load, right? It should be a shared amongst all of us. Now, if you're not a member of the church, it doesn't apply to you. If you're, not, if you're a new Christian, you don't know what this is, don't worry about it. If you've never been taught it, look, my job is not to beat you up. I'm not to shake you down for money. That's not my, I don't even know who gives what they, If you give, I don't even know. I have no clue. I don't have any clue who does what. My job is to help you to be the best Christian that you can possibly be. What you do with it, that's between you and God. You and I will never discuss it. We won't have a discussion about it because guess what? You're not accountable to me and you never will be. You're gonna be accountable to him. So what I'm, job, my job is to simply show you what you should do and then what you do is completely up to you. So when it comes down to tithing, right, if we say, look, you know what, I didn't know about it, I'm going to start do this, or I want to know more about it, ask questions, by all means do. But if you go, look, you know what, if I know and I search my own heart, I know I should be, but I'm consciously not doing it, no better time than the present to get started. So let me encourage you, right, give back to God what he's given to you. Listen to this in Malachi 3, verses 7 through 11. It says, even from the days of your father, ye are gone away from, nine ordinances, from mine ordinances and, and not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, God says. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? He says, In tithes and offerings. He says, Look, you know, they're like, We haven't stolen from, we haven't gone to the church and stolen any money. He says, Look, you're supposed to be giving in, but by you not giving it, you're actually stealing from me. He says, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even. This whole nation it says, look, you think it only affects you, but guess what? It affects everybody when you're disobedient. Verse number 10, bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now where herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that it will not open, that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The Lord is challenging us to test his faithfulness. He's saying, look, you just try me and see, watch and see what I will do. Because the cool thing is, see what? Because he desires to bless us for our faithfulness. God is like a parent, right? He wants to bless us for obedience. That's the whole thing. If we're not obedient, God's not gonna bless us. You know, I want God to work in my life. I want to, I wanna I want to have this walk with him. I want to have this this peace. I want to have this joy in my heart. I want to have this life that's fulfilling. And yet I'm in obedience, disobedience to God. Our children wanna have happy little lives. But if they do things that are completely disobedient on a regular basis, they're not going to have a happy little life. At least not if they live in my house, right? They're constantly disobedient. They're not going to be getting blessed. We're not going out to have ice cream. We're not going to McDonald's play place. We're not doing that kind of stuff. Because, look, you need to learn how to listen. And when you learn how to listen, guess what we're going to do? Then we're going to go have some fun. But until then, you've got a job, and your job is to learn how to be obedient. And I've got to do whatever I can do to teach you to look that. Because I'm not being a good parent if I don't teach them that, yeah. right? Because obedience is a part of life. You know what? You look, I don't want to pay my taxes. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. We will visit you. (laughs) Verse number 11, listen to this. In verse number 11, he says, and I will, oh, no, 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 I got something else I want to share with you. So listen to God's promise in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. It says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether while shall we be clothed? He says, and after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So look, God knows what your needs are. You don't have to worry about these things. Verse 33, listen to this promise, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that we worry with, all the things that we spend all this time and energy focused on, we're like, I got to worry about this and this, this, this. And God says, look, do you not realize he knows that you have need of these things? Do you not know that he realizes who you are? He knows the needs of your life. Now, we may not always get our wants, but guess what? A lot of times what our kids want is not what they need. Can we agree to that? Sometimes they want, you know, to eat chocolate pie for breakfast. Well, that's probably not the best thing for them. So we opt to not give them to that. So what happens is God says, look, I will give you, seek ye first the kingdom of God, make me number one in your life, seek me, live for me, and his righteousness, live a life that's, that's honorable, that's holy, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many of us in this room that have tithed and been faithful to God can attest that you cannot outgive God. It is amazing. It is amazing. Now, that's not always going to be financial, right? You know, you've got prosperity preachers out there go, you know, send in ten dollars, you're going to get back ten thousand. Don't worry about it. Yeah, brother, send it in, right? And they'll lie all they want to, but that's not what God's saying. He says, look, you know what? I will provide for you. I'll take care of you, right? And check out this last verse in verse number eleven, verse in Malachi eleven. In verse chapter three, it says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He says, look, I will face your enemy for you. Check this out. He says, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. He says, look, the efforts that you put into your life, the things that you've poured into the soil of your life, guess what he will do? He will not allow him to destroy that life that you've built. Neither shall your vine cast your fruits before the time in the field. He says, look, your, 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 your fruits, your vegetables, what he's referring to there, he said, look, you know, God will prosper what you do. He'll help the work, right? You're trying to teach your child how to be a faithful young adult. And God says, look, I'll bless you in that. You know what? You say, look, I've got a financial need. And you know, it's amazing. So many of us can attest time and time again how God has come through with a financial need that we had. And we go, man, I never would have dreamed. I'm telling you what, what's been amazing since we planted this church, we have a, an insurance bill that we, or a, uh, a tax bill that we pay every year. It's $10,000. And the last, every year we've done, every year we've been in existence, someone has sent us outside of the church A $10,000 check. (laughs) Isn't that cool? I mean, mean, that's cool, man. I think that's amazing. Somebody just goes, you know what? God laid on my heart to send you $10,000. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. That's awesome. But I'm just telling you, God provides. If you're faithful, God will provide. That's something we have no choice on. God provides. And I love how he says it's, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. For your sakes. Because I love you. And because I want to protect you. And because you're faithful, guess what I will do? I will go to bat for you. Not only does God reward our faithfulness, sometimes with material blessings, but he can also reward us through protecting us and also at the same time blessing our efforts, right? But what we see today and what we look and see in this message is about this individual accountability an individual accountability to God, not only for our souls, which we see through the ransom of Christ and what we see in facing God, but also in how we manage what God's blessed us with right? We've been given so much. And what this message is showing us, just in these six simple little verses, he's going, hey, you know what? I've blessed you, and I want you to bless this world. I want you to bless me back. I want you to be accountable to me. I want you to understand the fact that, yes, there is a ransom due for your soul, and guess what? You can't pay it, but I've made a way. I've supplied the ransom. Imagine somebody says, you know, let's say I get ransom and it's $10 million. And you go, dude, we don't have $10 million. God says, hey, I got the ransom. Just send it. It's good. I got you covered. And see, what's amazing is the fact that we are a blessed people, man. We're a blessed people. We are, blessed. we are a blessed nation. You go spend time around the world. Go to a third world country and look at how people live. One of the prayers that we pray every night when we go to bed is I'm like, Lord, thank you for the fact that you provided food for us because there are people this, that on this very night as they're going to sleep are thinking right now, I'm hungry as I go to bed. And tomorrow when I wake up, I hope I can find food. That's about a quarter of the world. They're desperate for food just to eat. And we throw food away. I got leftovers. I don't, I don't even like that really. Man, if you could just put it in the hands of those people, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be picky. Well, they would scarf it down just to stay alive. People starve to death, yet we live in such abundance. It's incredible. We cannot relate to it until you go someplace. When I was in India back in 2008, and you're walking on the streets, and you see people that are emaciated down to, they are starving to death. I met a man, he looked like he was 200 years old. He was like in his 70s. He looked so bad, and he's wearing a trash bag tied around his waist. That was what his clothing, he had a trash bag, a black bag tied around him, and he had a little bottle, a water bottle that you and I would throw away, and he had, it, and it had this gray water in it. And he's, he's sitting around behind, on behind a wall, sitting up behind a bush, curled up in the shade of the tree because it's about 110 degrees, and he's got that little bottle of gray water, and he's sitting there drinking it. And I'm going, my gosh. And what's amazing is in that very city where we were, people die on the streets on a regular basis and they don't come by and have a ceremony. They don't do anything. They put them on a cart. They take them to the edge of the road and they dump them in the trash. There are people that are considered untouchables. They're not human. And that's their humanity. They're people God loves them, man. And the thing is he sends missionaries. Why did God suddenly lay on someone's heart to get up and pull up their whole life and move to another part of the world? Because guess what? There's someone there who's seeking the Lord and it takes faithful people that are willing to do it. Right? We have 13 missionaries now, but we want to have a lot more missionaries. We want to do more in this world. Tonight in the business meeting, I'm going to introduce you guys. We're going to try we want to send $18,000 to Malawi, Africa to build a house. Just... <laughs> we're so blessed, man. We have so much. And we can do so much for other people. But we're so wrapped up in ourselves. God says, look, I'm going to hold you accountable for the life you live and the way you reap the resources that I trust you with. We have, a, we have the freedom to worship, at least for now. We are blessed with the word of God in our language, right? available to us, preserved for us. We have a Savior who loves us, who's willing to receive us exactly as we are in spite of ourselves, in spite of how bad we are, in spite of the life we've lived. I'm telling you, in 34 years, I had a lot of time to do a lot of things wrong. I had a lot of time to hurt a whole lot of people, to do a whole lot of destructive things, to do a whole lot of things that were in God's face. I had plenty of time to take God's name in vain and curse him and live as if he did not exist and deny his existence. But by his grace and by his love, he saw me where I was and he said, you know what? I love you anyway. You worthless, unworthy person. I love you. And it was that love that spoke to my heart. It wasn't because I was looking for religion. I wasn't searching for God. I didn't have any interest in God. I had no knowledge of God. But when it was confronted in my face and I had the reality to realize the fact that he was real and that he loved me in spite of who I was, man, it gripped my heart. And I went from sitting there going, you know what, prove to me you exist to going, oh my word, oh my word, you are real and you do love me and you want to receive me, forgive me, me, of all people. And all I had to do was slide onto my knees, man. And I opened my heart to him. I went down on my knees, a broken man, filled with anger and rage and sadness and bitterness. And I stood up redeemed, restored. Not because I was worthy, but because someone paid my ransom. And we have an amazing church. We have an amazing church family. God's blessed us in so many ways. See, it's not until we have the time, right? We, we, we maybe just, just take a moment to recognize what we've been blessed with, to see it, instead of taking it for granted, instead of just, you know what, well, I expect, I, I deserve it. We don't deserve it, but, for the, but by the grace of God, we could be that little old man behind that wall in India, holding that little bottle of gray water, but we're not. And God says, hey, recognize what I've done for you, recognize your blessings, when we'll accept our accountability to God. Give them our hearts, our minds, our resources, our talents, and our very lives. Guess what they can become? An offering unto God. It's about accountability. God says, hey, just give back. Think about someone besides yourself. Be willing to commit what I've given you back to me, including your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for our message, Father, for showing us what it means, Lord, uh, to give an offering unto God. Thank you for the accountability that we have to you, Lord. You you are so good. And Lord, the fact that we have a ransom that we could never, ever pay. And you came and paid it for us out of love. Thank you, Lord, for caring for us. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to come to where we were, even when we weren't looking, that we might know you. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? Hey, I don't have a relationship with God. I can completely relate to that. I had nothing. I never went to church my entire life, ever. But you know what? The understanding was the fact that this life is finite. This life has an end coming. And there is coming a day. And I knew there had to be something. I could look at nature, I could see God existed somehow. And there was something in my heart that told me he was real but it was a realization to know that one day I was going to face my mortality. And he asked me a question. He said, if you died today, David, are you 100% sure you're going to go to heaven? Do you have a relationship with God? And I thought, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a nice guy. And I wanted to basically negotiate it on my terms. I'm going to go to heaven, yeah, based upon my terms. And he said, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. There's a ransom that has to be paid, and there's only one price. There's only one that can pay it. He said, You can either go by way of Christ or you can pay it yourself. And I knew if I paid it myself, where I'd go. I was on the way. Freight train to hell, that's where I was heading. But by God's grace, He was willing to receive me exactly as who I was, to forgive me and to pay the price for my sins. If you're here today, if you're online, overflow, wherever you are, it's not a magic prayer, it's not some religious ceremony. Understand it's a personal relationship with a God who loves you. He created us and he loves us and he wants to redeem us. Not because we're worthy, it's because we're unworthy. And it's that love that he has for us and a willingness to receive us. All we have to do is be willing to receive him. So in Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Speaking of the ones who had just tortured him. And that love is what he has for us. Because guess what? He was on the cross, not for his sins, but for ours. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the greatest gift ever offered to this planet. The Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. And all you have to do, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from God. He says, if you'll call upon me and you mean it, I will save you. It's a matter of the heart. So with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your savior. You say, look, I know I have a need and I know I don't have the solution, but I want to receive that gift. I'm going to give you that chance. Like I said, it's not a magic prayer. It's just a willingness to submit our hearts to God. He loves us right where we are. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's by faith. It's not the words of this prayer that will do anything for you, but it's the intention of your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. If you want to receive him as your Savior, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I can look at my life and there's no doubt about it. And I don't understand how you do, but you love me. God, I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sins. God, to to give me an opportunity to repent. I want to leave that life behind and I want a relationship with you in the best way I know how. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to save my soul, to redeem me, to pay the ransom that I cannot pay. God, by faith, I'm trusting you to save me. And Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being willing to save me. Thank you for what you've done in my heart. I will see you in heaven one day.